Father, we thank you for today, and we, we do thank you for how you have uh, you, you provided over the last couple of weeks with the, an abundance of snow and rain. And we, we thank you, Lord, that it's a reminder that you, Lord, uh, just show your goodness to the just and the unjust alike, Lord. And as well as a reminder that you answer the prayers that we had prayed for and that you provide for us, you provide for your creation. So we thank you for that. At the same point, Lord, we thank you for a break in the snow so that we can all gather here today at church and, and uh, without restrictions of weather. And so we just thank you. Thank you that we get to, to, to dive into your word today. Father, pray that you teach us more about you as we as we talk about baptism, as we talk about this, this visible declaration of the gospel, Lord. And so we pray that we would think through this rightly and biblically. We would think through the issues, but more than all of that, Lord, that we would, we would rejoice in and glory in this, this picture of, of what Christ has done for us and that we'd find our joy there. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we've been looking at this idea of, of the church, and we started looking at what is the church. The church is a people, not a place. It's a regenerate people. It's an assembled people. But then we started looking, and I said the difference between a true church and a false church. And the difference between a true church and a false church is the gospel, right? It's, it's the gospel. That's what it comes down to. Matthew sixteen eighteen talks about that the, the true church is made of the right gospel confessors with the right gospel confession, that's, that's basically what a church is. And, and, we, and, and as I said, historically, those have also been recognized as the marks of the church, especially coming out of Roman Catholicism in the time of the Reformation. It was recognized that the Bible teaches as what is it that makes a church? Well, it's those things, the right confession, the right preaching of the word of God. The right gospel preaching, which we looked at last week, um, is the right preaching of the word of God is the first mark of the church. And then we're going to start looking this week for, for several weeks at the second mark of the church, and that's the right administration of the ordinances. We'll talk about what that means, ordinances, in a little bit. But that's baptism and the Lord's Supper. So the right preaching is the gospel audibly proclaimed, and the ordinances is the gospel visually proclaimed. Right? The preaching is when we audibly proclaim the gospel. Baptism, the Lord's Supper, and also I'd say church discipline is a visual proclamation of the gospel. And so uh, that's what we're going to look at this week. We're going to look at this, this Mark 2, the second mark of the church. It's ordinances. We're going to look at baptism this week, maybe a little bit next week, depending on how long this takes. And then we'll look at the Lord's Supper. And, we're, and, and when you talk about baptism and the Lord's Supper, we also have to look at church discipline. So we'll look at that as well. But let's look at this first. Ordinances. What, what is this? ordinances. Ordinances comes really from the idea of being ordained, right? There are things that have been ordained or commanded by Christ. Jesus commanded, he ordained certain things to be practiced by his church to mark out the church. Uh, This is a different word from sacrament. Some people grew up or some people have a more understanding of the word sacrament. It's, it's, we don't, want to, we don't want to be hard on people. If someone says sacrament, we don't have to, to, to Bible shame them, right? It's not like, oh, you said sacrament, let me correct you. It's not, they probably mean a similar thing, but they, they, th- those two words really historically have different meanings and two different, di- different models of what the ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, the things that God, Christ commanded to mark out his church, when we think about those. When you look at the Roman Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church uses the language of sacraments, right? Use the language of sacraments. And, and a sacrament is an act that conveys or bestows grace. 
So it's the idea if, if Dave, is, is, if he was a Roman Catholic and he, did this, he participated in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, it's the idea that actually it's that Dave is getting more grace when he participates that. If, if Dave does this act, it actually is how that grace is bestowed upon him. That's how he gets forgiven. That's how he gets accepted by God more and more is by, by receiving more grace through the sacraments, right? It's that, I, it's that I need grace as I do these things. I get that grace. That's what the idea of sacrament is. That's really out of the Roman Catholic Church understanding. But that's, that's not our understanding of scripture. And that's not our understanding also as we, we, we look at that because we don't need more grace, right? We don't get grace through something we do. We get grace through what or who? Through Christ, through Christ alone. Christ forgives us. Christ is our grace. We have been forgiven. I'm not accepted by God because I've taken enough communion. I'm accepted by God because of what Christ has done in his finished work and his death and resurrection for me. And so it's not an idea of sacrament is, is getting more grace. It's the idea of an ordinance. It's not a conferring of grace. It's the idea that it, these are symbols that point to the grace that Christ has already done. Christ has already done the work. That's the gospel. And what baptism and the Lord's Supper are, they're symbols. They point to, they visibly display that gospel that Christ completed for us. It's a visible and tangible picture of the gospel. So that's what, what the difference, in, uh, why I like to use the term ordinance and not sacrament. Questions there? Comments? Thoughts? Just so yeah. you know, the, um, the Mormons, they say sacrament okay. as well. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's good to know. Okay. And again, some people may use the term and just just because they're used to using the term. That's why I, I would never like, oh, you can't say that. Like, because they, if I say, well, are you saved through doing communion? Oh, no, no, I'm saved because of Jesus. Well, okay, we have the same definition. We're just using a different word. But the, 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 uh, t- historically, the idea of sacrament, you know, is really the idea of bestowing grace, getting more favor from God as you participate in these actions. So, which would probably line up with the, the Mormonism as well, as you have to do more and more acts of, of yeah. So, yeah. yeah we, we always called them sacraments growing up. Yeah. And they were never expected to bestow exactly. yep. on our church or the people there. Yep. And that's what I'm saying. There's a lot of people that may still use that term, and, and that's why I would say I never, I've never hammer down on that. I'm just saying, you know, if you look, if you think through just kind of historically of, of how they're used and, and, and it's a help, dif- it helps it bring a differentiation there. But it, it, I, I would never be a hardliner on, on, because if it, you could, as I said, we could use the same term as, you know, different terms as if that same definition is being used. It's, it's not something that bestows grace. It's something that points to the, the grace that we've received through Christ. Did that come because the Catholic opinion of it or was it pre Catholic? mean, did it take on that I don't know. I'm guessing yes. I'm guessing that distinction is, an, is a reactionary one. I'm guessing. I, I just don't know. Is there an idea that Christ did half your grace and they had to do the other half? It's idea, right? Roman Catholic is the, is the idea of ju- justification where Christ... Hmm, I'm trying to remember how, how, how I define this. Um, I, I want to be careful how I do it. It's... it's, it's I don't know if it's. I don't, I don't think it's a half and half thing. I think it's that Christ has made it available, but that you have to, in a way that 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 you have to 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 
that receive and earn that grace as you're participating in in the, in the different sacraments, right? If I remember correctly, and so then you you only get yeah the purgatory to make up for the areas that you are not fully. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Then you make up for the rest in purgatory. Yeah. 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 I believe there's seven. I believe seven sacraments. Yeah. But let's look at one of these ordinances, and that's baptism. That's what we're going to look at this morning. And, and, and we see that this is an ordinance. This has been commanded for the church, right? Uh, baptism. Let's look at Matthew 28. They probably could do it from, from memory, but it's, let's just look at the text here. Matthew 28, Great Commission, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, th- go therefore and make disciples of all nations. How? What marks out a disciple? By baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Who is this a command for? In the immediate context, it's a command for who? For the disciples. But there's also the hint there that there's a broader context, right? Because the disciples aren't there till the end of the age. Any believer, believer, right? So it's for all believers. So the church, which we see is this idea of authority, given over authority, goes along with um, Jesus establishing his church in Matthew 16, the authority of the church in Matthew 18, here in Matthew 28. So the church is, the command for the church is is to baptize those who are believers, and then we also see, if you're in, in Matthew, just flip over a couple of books to Acts chapter 2. So the command to the church is to baptize those who would make a confession as disciples of Christ. But it's not just a command we see to the church, but, but we have an example of a command as well to those who would become disciples of Christ. Um, Acts 2.38, uh, the, 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 um, the, the Jews listening to Peter say, well, you know, what, do, what do we do? When they, how do we respond to this Jesus you've been talking about? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So it's a commandment for believers, right? So if someone wants to, to turn and repent and turn to Christ, what does that mean? What does that look like? They, you get baptized, Right? Now, that's the basic thing that pretty much Christians agree on. But within that, there are, there are several areas of disagreement among Christians. These are, uh, I always mix up intra and inter. What's the one within, within? Intra. So these are intra-Christian debates. With one exception, it could go outside. And I'll, I'll mention that in a little bit. But these are, these are, these are you know, good Christians, love Jesus, believe the gospel, that have disagreements within, within these issues. Um, first of all, what's the proper mode of baptism, right? Is, it, is, is baptism, does baptize mean you have to fully go under the water? Is it just immersion? Or are there other methods that you could use? Can you also sprinkle or pour or some other methods of baptism, right? Um, and, and along with that is, is also the question of what is the significance of baptism, What's the significance of baptism? Is it, actually, let me skip there. Uh, sorry, proper mode and then proper subjects. Sorry, let me give this, proper subjects. Who should be baptized? If it's a baby, 
probably not going to shove them under the water, right? And so, is, are you going to baptize babies or is it just believer's baptism? And typically, um, those are the differences that I put here that there are those who would say, uh, you could say pedo-baptist. That's a fancy word of saying infant, infant baptism, right? And they would typically be the ones who would sprinkle, sprinkle water. And that's typically those out of, out of the Reformed uh, Reformation tradition of the Presbyterians, so whether it's PCA, PCUSA, uh, kind of those denominations, uh, as well as, as the Anglican or Lutherans, um, and obviously if it's Anglican, it's also Methodist because Methodists come out of Anglicans. But, so Presbyterians, Anglican, Lutherans, this is all um, uh, infant practice, infant baptism. And the idea of that is the idea of that um, it's, 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 it's for children, it's for infants of believers as a covenant sign. It's not that they're saved. It's a covenant sign that even though they're not saved, they're part of the covenant community. And it's a hope that being raised, that they, they will be saved possibly someday. So that's really the practice here. There's also, or there's some who, of a Baptistic background that would say, no, baptism is for believers. Baptism is a sign of your confession and your proclamation of Christ that, that's done by believers, not just by everybody because they have a relative who's part of the church. Um, interesting enough, the EFCA does both. The EFCA makes no distinction. The EFCA says, ah, either way is fine. The EV Free Church of America. So EV Free says, eh, that's kind of, that's kind of the position. So actually, I, I had no idea. And I, I, was, I was talking to a friend of mine, and actually, it was an internship I was looking at doing. Uh, it was for, for several months. And, uh, and uh, they said, well, the problem is, 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 you know, I'm not, you know, I don't, it was, it was, it was a, it was a Baptistic organization. They're like, we, I don't know if you're going to fit in, you know, if you're going to make it, you know, if you can apply because you have to believe that baptism's for believers. And I go, I do. Like, but, but you're EFCA. I'm like, I, yeah. He's like, well, EFCA is, is you have to hold to both. And I'm like, well, I don't. So there you go. Uh, but so I, I'm kind of giving away my position, but that's, that's, that's where the EFCA sits on there. There's also a, a, a third issue and that is, is baptism symbolic Right? What's the meaning? Is it a symbolic pointing to Christ or is it salvific? Is it actually part of what's, what God uses to save you? And if you have, uh, if you know anyone that's part of the Church of Christ movement, there's another, uh, name. I can't remember what it's called. Um, but basically it's the Church of Christ, uh, denomination. That's, that's basically what they would hold. They would hold in their very, I'd say most that are, are trying to be biblically faithful are very nuanced. They want to make sure it's clear. You don't earn your salvation, but they would say that baptism, that they would say you are not saved until you're baptized. They would say that you have not really professed faith in Christ until baptism. And I would say, depending on that definition, I would possibly say that's outside of Christian boundaries. There's some Church of Christ that would say, no, no, you have to do this, and, and that, that's how you get saved. Be real careful. There are other brothers that I've met that are trying to be very distinct to say, we believe that you're saved by grace alone, by, through faith alone, um, but the, way that faith, the only way that faith is exercised is through baptism. I'd say, 
I think we, we agree on the gospel, but man, that's a, you are just right on that edge. And so, but that's, uh, if you know someone who's a church of Christ, that's, that's the belief there. Is that they call it baptismal regeneration. Is that regeneration happens really that, that, that at, at baptism. And so you would see, I, I, I did I have a friend of, that was in a church of Christ and I asked him a bunch of questions. I'm like, cause he was an, he was a youth minister. And I'm like, well, if you have, um, you know, a, a kid that, that is, is, you know, profess faith in Christ, you know, then, um, you know, what, what do you do? Well, we ba- try to baptize him right away. Well, what if you don't? Well, we have to baptize him right away. It's like his, I mean, he's, his, it was his conviction that, yeah, if, he, if that person died before they got baptized, that, they, that confession was not really true. So it was, it was very, it's, 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 we'll talk a bit more about, more about that, but yeah. Sorry to keep bringing up Mormonism, but it's the same thing. Really? I think that's why they do baptisms for the dead in okay. the temples. That, wow. So, huh. th- that they believe you have. Yeah, and that would be, bring about... Yeah. Hmm. So that so so those are some distinctions. But I would say that's in contrast all of this Baptistic, Presbyterian, EFCA, Anglican, Lutheran, all of that would say that baptism is symbolic. So that there's just really one outlier. Um which I'm not sure if, if I know there's a Church of Christ in Oakers. I haven't made one here. I think it's a little bit more prominent in the Midwest if I remember correctly, but uh Midwest and South, but I don't know. David, you have something? I was just going to say we almost uh, I have a friend uh, a very good friend Almost the opposite. You accept the Christ. That's awesome. We won't baptize you until we know you're involved in it. We know there's someone's going to yeah. tear your soul, yep. watch over you, yep. help you, disciple you, yep. and all that. So we'll we'll leave that for the home church to baptize. Because we know that you're because what what counts is is your as your profession. Yeah, we'll we'll look at that. We're gonna so we're gonna look at those issues, and I wanted to introduce those. That this is where we're gonna be looking at, just because I don't know how far kind of some of the discussion and the d- disagreements on that we'll look at there. Um, let's, let's, because a lot of these questions are about we're going to dive into, let's just dive into the issues here. Let's talk about the mode of baptism. That's probably maybe the simplest, the, 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 the le- least debatable of the debates here between this idea of immersion or sprinkling. Immersion or sprinkling. What's the mode of baptism? Um, the Greek word baptizo, um, oh, actually, sorry, I have to back up. Uh, I missed something. Oh, let me, let me do one more thing before I get into the mode of baptism. I, I wanted to just, just talk about and saying, how important are these differences, right? Is it, and this is where I would disagree with the EFCA of, is it just something of, ah, you know, you say tomato, I say tomato. You say, what else, was it, what else is part of that song? Potato. potato you say, I say potato, right? Let's call the whole thing off. Um, how, how, how distinctive are these issues, um, and, and let me, let me, I want to illustrate with a story. And then, so we're going to dive into it, but I want to illustrate with a story. Uh, I want to illustrate with a story by a name, uh, a man named Adoram Judson. Have you heard of Adoram Judson? He was one of the first missionaries from the United States in the, uh, um, in the late 1700s and, and early 1800s. Judson was, was raised and, and came to believe as a, he came to believe, uh, in a deist philosophy. The God, he created the world and then just kind of let things go. Um, so it wasn't, it was a, it was not a Christian philosophy. Actually, a lot of our founding fathers were deists, not Christians. And so, and, but it was really that philosophy that there was not a active sovereign God. It was not a, a God who worked for the saving of Jesus Christ. Just to kind of set things and then, then kind of let him go and he does his own thing. 
uh, uh, Judson lived as a really as a party animal in the in the 1700s. He he and his friend would uh, Jacob uh, was it Jacob Eames would travel around New England just looking for different fields where people would have parties. Right, that there weren't clubs to hang out or bars to hang out, so they'd go look for the field that's having the party that night. So they would go around and just they would go find a field where a bunch of people were, and they'd just get drunk in the field, and they would sleep in the field if it was too cold because it's New England. They'd go in a hotel and they'd sleep off sleep off their hangover. Well, when uh, uh, Judson was about 22 or 23, he was staying in one of those hotels, nursing his hangover, and he heard someone dying next door from alcohol poisoning. And that person all night was, was, was screaming and moaning and vomiting, and, and, and he died. And the next morn, morning, Judson asked, who was that person who had died next door? And it was his old friend, Jacob Eames, reportedly. And, and that, that just, just shocked him in, 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 in straight. And so it, it, it just destroyed his, his idea of life and, and, and it turned him to turn to God. He, he realized he was lost. He, he realized that he, his friend was lost, that he was lost, that they were sinners. Um, and he turned to Christ and he repented and he was saved. Uh, he later met, met Anne Hasseltine, uh, who they started this, this dating and courtship process, but they didn't go to dates, uh, to, to McDonald's or to Starbucks. What they would do, if they wanted to go on a date together, they went to these missionary meetings. The, the churches would hold these missionary meetings, these missionary rallies to get excited and pray and, and, and have passion for the gospel and passion for missionaries. And so that's where they would go on their dates, these missionary meetings. And, and eventually they were, they were married. And actually, I, I loved, just as a total side note, I loved... Um, the, the letters that uh, were written back and forth. So uh, Judson wrote to, to uh, Mr. Hasseltine, Anne's father, and just, just listen, just listen, just imagine you getting one of these letters. But he said this. He says this, I have now to ask whether you consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world because they wanted to get married and go on the mission field. So he says, I want to get married and take her and you're never going to see her again because we're going to go die on the mission field. Uh, whether you can consent to her departure to a heathen land and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure and the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of Christ, who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls and for the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with a crown of righteousness brightened by the acclamations of praise which shall resound to her savior from heathen saved through her means from eternal woe and despair. And reportedly her dad sent a letter with two words, ask her. <laughs> and so uh, he, let, he, he, he had a letter to her as well. In his letter of January 1st, 1811, Tuesday morning, uh, he writes to Anne Hasseltine, It is with utmost sincerity, with my whole heart, that I wish you, my love, a happy new year. May it be a year in which your walk will be close with God, your frame calm and serene, and the road that leads you to the Lamb marked with purer light. May it be a year in which you have more largely the Spirit of Christ, be raised above sublunary things, and be willing to be disposed of in this world just as God shall please. As every moment of the year will bring you nearer to the end of your pilgrimage, may it bring you nearer to God, and find you more prepared to hail the messenger of death as a deliverer and friend. And now, since I have begun to wish, I will go on. May this be the year in which you will change your name 
in which you will take a final leave of your relatives and native land, and you, you will cross the wide ocean and dwell on the other side of the world among the heathen people. And then he'll, he'll write later, he said, uh, We shall be weary of this world and wish for wings like a dove that we may be fly away and be at rest. We shall probably experience seasons where we shall be exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. Oh, we will wish to lie down and die, and that time may come soon. By foreign hands thy dying eyes were closed, by foreign hands thy deceit limbs composed, by foreign hands thy humble grave adorned. But whether we shall be honored and mourned by strangers, God only knows. At least either of us will be certain of one mourner. And so as he proposed to her and that they would get married and go overseas and uh, become missionaries, and that, that's what they were. They were, the first, they were some of the first missionaries that they were sent over, uh, if I remember, to, to, to India, right? They ended up in Burma, but they were headed to India with six other missionary uh, missionaries, and they were on a board for 114 days. And during that time, Adoraim was translating the New Testament into one of the Indian dialects. And he started, as he's studying the scripture, he was convicted about this issue of baptism, that, that he, he was raised, he was raised in, in where people were actually kind of a status symbol. They were baptized as infants. If you were a wealthy, if you were a good Christian family, you were baptized as infants as a status symbol. And as he's reading the Bible, he's realizing, wait a minute. In the Bible, you're baptized when you become a believer, not as an infant. And so he was really, con- he was convicted about this. And so he went to his wife and he said, we, we need to obey the Lord and we need to be baptized as believers. And he showed her what was in the Bible. And she says, I want nothing to do with you. And she actually separated from him on the journey over to India. She, she actually got a different room on the ship and locked her door and, and, and would not have anything to do with him for the rest of the journey. And at the end of the journey, she told him, I've been studying the Bible as well. And the Bible's teaching that you have to be baptized, that we're to baptize believers. And the other missionary said, we, we believe that you're brothers and sisters in Christ, but we can't do the same missionary work because who do you baptize? Right? That, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a big distinctive where we can agree that we're, we're all saved, but there's some major distinctive of how do we build the church? And so this, this couple were saying, well, but this is what the Bible teaches, so we have to follow this. And so the other missionaries left, they, and the Judsons lost their support. They lost their funding. They lost their food. They lost their contacts. They lost their transportation. They lost everything because they said, well, you have to do what the Bible says. And they just, the two of them walked inland into India, and they, were, they found a church that, was a, that believed this, you know, the gospel and believed that, yeah, you have, you know, this is how we build a church is through baptizing believers. And that church sent, sent them to Burma, which is where they continued their missionary work in, in Burma. But I, I say this in this way. I, I'd say that, this, that it's not something that divides Christians in the sense of you're a Christian, you're not. We, we have many wonderful brothers and sisters that are Presbyterian and Anglican and Lutheran. But I would say it's not insignificant. It's not an insignificant issue because it is a question of how, how does Christ build his church? It is a question that church really has to have a position of what is the standing on this, that we can agree as brothers to disagree, but it is a situation where a church has to, to really decide. It is something that, that they're right to say as a missionary endeavor, right? If we're going to partner in a missionary endeavor, you really have to, to have, a, you have, to have a, a, a this way or not. Who do you baptize? Do you baptize, if someone gets saved, do you baptize them and their whole family, or do you baptize those who become believers? And so it is is not um, a salvation issue, but it's not an unimportant issue. So let's, let's look at these issues now. Let's look at the difference between, what's the mode of baptism? Immersion versus sprinkling. Immersion versus sprinkling. 
Uh, the word, Greek word baptizo means to, to plunge, dip, or emerge, which is interesting. But that shouldn't be conclusive though, right? There's a danger when you say the Greek word means this. Because it's, it's, the question's not, the dictionary says the Greek word means this, but what does that word mean in context, right? Because you can say the word butterfly is butter that flies. Is that right? In a way, it's right, right? That is literally, if you want to take that word literally, literally, that's what the word means. Huh? I'm not familiar with Amelia Vidalia. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I know. I, should, I, I might need to repent. Um, there you go. But, or the, uh, the, um, one of my favorite words is the word lasagna, as I said the other week. And I actually looked it up. Someone was asking a question. Lasagna comes from the Latin lasanum, meaning pot, which that word would often be used as a chamber pot. So when you say, I love lasagna, if you want to say that word means, yeah, but that's, but that's not what the word means in your context. That's not the word what it means when you go to the Chico and says, bring me some lasagna, right? It, it, when you say the word, this Greek word means this, you just always have to be careful. If that's your only argument, it, it's, it's a little shaky, but it's not the only argument, right? Because all parties agree, when you just study the Bible, as Judson agreed, and, and as all parties would agree that Jesus and the disciples and the early church practiced immersion. It's just very clear that Jesus and the disciples and the early church practiced immersion. Look at, uh, turn back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 3, verse 6. Dave's already quoting where I'm going. All right. Uh, yes, chapter 3, verse 6. Or starting in verse 5, where it says, Then Jerusalem and all Judea and the region about the Jordan were going to him, John the Baptist, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So they were baptized in a river. Same thing you see in Mark 1, 5. You don't need to go all the way out to the river if you're just going to sprinkle a little bit on top of someone, right? Uh, if you look over at John chapter 3. Could you, could you, one more verse in there, chapter yep. 3, verse 11. I, okay, uh, in chapter 11, I baptize you uh, with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals, yeah, and, and he will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. The way it's worded. Okay. In which way? Uh huh. So that you'll be, so that your repentance will be valid. That's kind of what I Yeah, let's, let's, let, I want to put a pin in that because I want to, I want to look at, that really deals with this issue, right? What, what does baptism accomplish? Right? What's the relation of baptism to faith and repentance? So let's, let's put a pin in there for just a second because we're going to get back to that. Yeah. Um, John chapter 3, verse... What am I? 3.23. John 3.23. We see further evidence. Um, John was baptizing at Aeon near Salim because water was plentiful there. And people were coming and being baptized. Why, why was there a need for water to be plentiful? Okay, I mean, I guess. But you need a lot of water to do the type of baptism John was doing, right? Which means that it had to be immersed under the water. Let's look at one more verse. Uh, Acts chapter 8. 
Acts chapter 8, verse 38. So this is the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch uh, was ministered to by Philip, and he, was, he, he professed faith. And, and then in verse 38, uh, he says, what, or 37, what, why shouldn't I get baptized now? In verse 38, it says, And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. And they came up out of the water, and the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. So they went down into the water, they went up out of the water. It's the idea of... If, you know, as you're looking at that, there's a process that's, that's happening that, ha- that has to happen in this large body of water. Now, I, I, I start with this because it's probably the easiest one because even those who would have this view, like Luther and Calvin and others in church history, they would, they would say, yes, Jesus practiced immersion. Jesus practiced immersion. Uh, the disciples practiced immersion. The, the earliest church practiced immersion. That's, that's not debatable. Um, probably... You know, uh, there's different theories. I, you know, there is a theory I, I think makes sense that really that the, the, the Catholic Church started changing that process of, um, of baptism and probably getting younger and younger, probably also dealing with some things of high childhood mortality and some other issues, but that no one knows exactly when and where and why the change happened. But, um, but the, 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 the question here, if I want to represent our, our Pado-Baptist brothers and sisters rightly, they would say, why does the Bible's practice have to be our practice? Just because Jesus baptized by immersion, does that mean we are required to baptize by immersion? And now let me give you a, a parallel example. What did Jesus serve at the Lord's Supper? Bread and wine. We all agree on this, right? Jesus did not use Welch's grape juice. Can we, can we agree there? Now, there might be debate of how watered down the wine, and there's some different questions, but it definitely was not non-alcoholic grape juice. It might be very, very lightly alcoholic, but, but there is some sort of wine involved. That is what Jesus used. Do we follow Jesus' exact example in our communion service. No. That, that's the, so I want to I represent their argument not as a caricature, but as a real argument. And I think that that's the point they would make. They would say, does, just because Jesus did it that way, are we required to do it in the same way? Because communion, we don't do it the exact same way. And we would say we're still faithful to the Bible. That's the argument that the Pado baptists would make. And there's no commandment to do so. You must do it this way. Yes. That's right. We, we cannot find chapter and verse that would say um, immersion, right? That, that's their argument there. You, you guys see the argument that's having? Now, the, there's a, the, the difficult issue, there's two difficult issues we have with this, though, that I would say that why, yes, I, I understand that argument, but there's two difficult issues. One is that when we've read these verses, it's not saying that, that John baptized by taking them under, that, that actually baptized was the immersion. See, it wasn't baptism by immersion or baptizing by sprinkling, but when it says he baptized him, that baptism is, is the actual act of immersion. The baptism was not about the water. The water was not what was sacred. It was the symbol that was, that was being dis- displayed there, which also relates to how the rest of the New Testament describes um, the symbol of baptism. You see, when we look at the communion cup, right, is, is it the wine 
the actual, the idea that it's wine and not juice, the symbol of what communion is about. No, it's the, it's the idea of the cup, right? This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, right? That is the symbol. The symbol of baptism is not just cleansing. It's not about the water. When we look at the New Testament, the symbol that the, that the New Testament points to baptism is not about just that there's water involved. The symbol of baptism is a spiritual symbol about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So you're saying that there is a, it's not just an idea of, oh, it's just the method is different, but the, the baptism is not about the water. Baptism is about the symbol of dying with Christ and being raised again. That is why immersion is, I would say, is a significant issue. So, um, so in fact, let's, let's look at that real quick. Let's tr- look, turn to Romans chapter 6. Okay, we're doing it. Romans chapter 6. See, here's what baptism, this is what Paul explains, both in Romans and in Colossians as well. Here is what baptism is about. It's not about just having water on you. It's not about just being washed of your sins. There's some things that tie with that, but it's not about the water. It's about the, this, this picture that immersion pictures. The very symbol is the symbol of immersion when we look at this. So Romans chapter 6, I'm going to start in verse 3. Paul says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. So when you go, so baptism is a symbol of being buried, dying and burying with Christ. Jesus died for our sins and he was buried in the tomb. So, so in baptism, we identify with that death. We identify with that burial. How? How do we identify with his death and burial? Just in our minds, I just picture that when I'm being baptized. No, what is it that, what is the symbol of being baptized where you, you're dying? You're going under the water. That makes sense? That they're going under the water. That he, he pictures, is that idea of dying and being buried with Christ. Je, so the idea of Jesus died for our sin, so we are dying to our sin. The act of baptism is saying, I previously served and worshipped me. I served and worshipped my sin, but I am dying to that old life. That, that person is gone. I am, I am a new creation in Christ. And, and that's where he goes on in verses four, the rest of verses 4 and 5. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So in baptism... Hopefully, you don't stay under the water, right? I, I remember in seminary, um, I, I took a, pra- a practical ministry class, and it was required, and, and, the, and the, the pastor was having to tell all these horror stories of how you can do baptism wrong, right? <laughs> of things that you can do that just mistakes, uh, and it's just, it sounds really silly, right? But he's like, listen, I know it sounds silly until it happens to you. Until it happens to you, and you're like trying to get the person out of the water, they're not, all, you know, or you're trying to push them. Don't push them down, you know. Just trying to be very, you know, because you don't want to, you know, you don't want to have to use Dave Mulkey at the baptism service for resuscitation, right? We're not literally dying; we're spiritually dying with Christ. See, because you come out of the water, right? In baptism, you identify, saying, I, "I died to my old self, but I have a new life in Christ." 
There's this new life in Christ. This is my new life. I am a worshiper of Jesus Christ. Do you see why the method is significant in the New Testament? It's not arbitrary. It's not, well, Jesus did that, but that's not the point. So we can use something different. We can use grape juice. The, the, the immersion is the symbol of baptism. Um, it, it's a symbol of being united with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. That's what baptism is about. I am identifying with Jesus publicly in his death, burial, and resurrection. So that, that's the first I, I, um, idea there. So any, any, any questions there? I have no idea. I don't know. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I, I will not repeat the, the stories from my professor. I, I just, you know, because, but I, I'm amazed, and I've talked to other pastors, I'm amazed, and, and it's just some of the, the stories people have of just baptisms going wrong, you know, and so, but uh, I'm thankful we had a professor who just did the silliest thing of saying, here's how you do this to not, you know, hurt someone when you're baptizing them. Um, so, okay. All right. Uh, any other questions, thoughts, comments there? That's why immersion is important. All right. Second of all, and this actually should be letter, I think, D. I'm sorry. This should be actually the, the significance of baptism. Let's look at, talk about the significance of baptism. Their number two should be uh, actually the, talk about the significance. I didn't put that in the notes right. So the, what's the significance of baptism? Well, uh, so we just, oh, I, no, I was, I'm sorry. That is C. Huh? I have that there. So yeah, significance of baptism is that it's a symbol of reunion with Christ. And it's also, and this is what Dave was talking earlier, that there is a close tie, especially in the book of Acts, between the expression of faith in Christ and baptism. That This is why the Church of Christ, I think they overstate their case, but they're reading scripture and saying, man, baptism and faith seem to be somehow very closely related. They're not the same thing. That's where I want to differ. But there seems to be a close relation there. So turn to Acts chapter 2. Back to, we've been there, but we'll, we'll turn back there because this, um, this is one of those verses. Do we have time? We have time. Yeah, we have time. Okay. Acts chapter 2. Let's look again at verse 37, 38. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the apostles, Brother, what do we do? How do we get saved? Verse 38, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. So our brother in the church of Christ would say, see, you are baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Now, we have to be careful for a couple things. First of all, just by using English, right? Um, and, And the same with Greek. The word for can actually have some different meanings, right? For can mean for the purpose of, right? For the purpose of. You're baptized for the purpose that your sins are forgiven. But for can also be for the demonstration of, for the demonstration that your sins have been forgiven. Uh, so, so similar thing like this way. Let's say that, that Nathaniel's parents say, Nathaniel, for your grades, if you get straight A's, if you get straight A's for the whole year, we're going to get you a car, Okay, I know they're not going to do that. You can smile all you want. But if you think about that, it's not the idea of, I'm going to give him a car for the purpose of him getting straight A's. The car doesn't come first, right? It's not that the car gives the straight A's. The car is a demonstration of what he has done. 
That makes sense? It's a result. It's a demonstration. The same thing that in the military, you can be given medals for bravery. It's not the idea that they pin medals in your chest and that makes you brave, right? Medals for bravery. This medal gives you bravery. This medal, right? The idea of baptism saves you. It's the idea that that bravery is recognized and demonstrated by that medal. And so even in English, it could go either way. I'm not saying it, it has to be one way or the other. I'm just saying the English language does not d- uh, demand. It must be that baptism saves you here. In fact, I think the best evidence though is look over a page at, at, at chapter three. The next time Peter gives the gospel, the next time he calls for a response by people is chapter three, verse 19. It sounds very similar, but he changes something. He says, repent therefore and turn back. The, 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 the context would be turn back to God through Christ that your sins may be blotted out and the times of my refreshing may come in the presence of the Lord. So this time, he doesn't talk about baptism at all. He says, what, is, what, is, what, is, what saves you this time? Turning away from your sins. And instead of baptism, he talks about turning back and turning towards God through Christ. Right? So it's this idea of the first one is, was, you know, was, was repentance and baptism. This one is talking about repentance and faith, right? And, and then look over at Acts 22. Acts 22. Acts 22. And look how baptism is described here, this time by Paul. In Acts 22, verse 16. Acts twenty two sixteen 16 uh, says this. Um, and now why do you wait? Rise. Oh, Paul's recounting his own baptism, or his own salvation here. Rise and be baptized, baptized and wash away your sins. By what means? By calling on his name, right? So what is it, what is baptism mean? It means it's this expression of calling on the name of Christ, right? Which we see in Romans is an expression of faith. So we see that baptism, it's, it's tied to faith. It's a way of expressing faith. It's saying, how do I know if someone has declared faith? One of the ways to show that they've declared faith is through seeing their baptism. But it's not necessary for faith. Sometimes baptism isn't mentioned at all. In fact, so now let's look at the most difficult passage. Here's the one that, 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 just is, that most people would say, oh, this one is just, I just don't know what to do with this one or see this proves the point, and that's 1 Peter. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Verse 21, 3.21. Baptism, Peter says, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, let's think about this verse. What does this mean? Church of Christ, our brothers and sisters, Church of Christ, they see baptism is required for salvation. Baptism saves you. It, it, is, it is part of that confession of faith and it's so integral that you, cannot, you don't have a genuine profession of faith without baptism. Well, there's some problems. There's a theological problem for that, right? What are some theological problems if we interpret this verse as baptism is the only way to show your faith? Okay, yes. And you're also saying, you could get so close, you're saying you're actually having to earn that, right? It's, it's not about Christ, it's about what you're doing. So there's a dangerous thing of being saved by works. It, it's very close there. It's very close to Galatians where it says grace, you have to have grace, plus you have to do X, Y, and Z. Yes, you need Jesus, but you have to do X, Y, and Z. 
And then there's also an example we have a problem. What's the example of the person we know is saved, promised to be in paradise, and we know was not baptized? Thief on the cross, right? So we have, we have some theological issues, but still, we need to make sure what does the text say? We don't want to just explain away text by our theology, but I think the text is very clear. It's very easy. Because look at the text here. The text in verse 321 says, what does not save you? It's saying here, here's what does not save you. What does not save you? Not what? Not the water. It's not about the water. It's not about the removal of dirt. The act of baptism is not what saves you. It's not about the act of baptism. What does save you? Not the removal of water, not the immersion of water, not the act of baptism, but what? An appeal to God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What, what, what other word would we use for when we appeal to God, saying, I, I through Jesus Christ, am appealing you that I, I'm trusting you through Jesus Christ to forgive me of my sins. What's the word we use for that? Faith, right? So even in that very verse, it's saying it's not a physical act. It's the faith that's represented. Now, that the faith is, is, is tied. And that's, so that's the problem. That's the problem with the with, with idea of that baptism saves you. That there's no verse that, that can teach that. But we do see that the baptism is a symbolic picture of faith. That is, that is the first act that we do declare faith. That it is closely associated. It is not faith. It's not required for faith. You can be saved without being baptized. But we would say that faith does lead to to, to expressions of that faith. And the first expression of that faith is baptism. I mean, think about this. Faith is an internal reality, right? How do I know if you have faith, right? Dave, can I pick on you again? When Dave got saved, I, I, don't, I don't have x-ray vision where I can see inside Dave's heart. Even if I did, I couldn't see what he's thinking, right? But, and, and it's not like Dave is like, okay, I got saved, so I'm going to get a big Christian tattoo on my head, right? I get a big cross on my head so everyone knows that I have faith. Right? It's, that, that's, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, if you have faith, you need a Christian tattoo. No. The Bible does also doesn't say that the way of demonstrating faith is through altar calls or through prayer, prayer cards. That the biblical demonstration of proclaiming to the world, I have faith in Jesus Christ, is through baptism. Right? And, and, and we see that this is the act by the church of declaring, that person has declared faith in Christ. We as the church recognize them as the right confessor. And that's what baptism is. Uh, Millard Erickson calls baptism word in water. It is a symbol testifying to that believer's faith and their participation in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is a visualization, is a, is a visual picture, proclamation of the gospel in that person's life. Uh, any last questions? And then we'll, we'll save the, the we'll save the infant baptism argument till till next time next week. I don't know. There's, there's I know that there's a history somewhere there in the Middle Ages. I just I can't remember. That part of church history whoo, went, went, went out of my brain. So, yeah. 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 It's probably a different issue. Let's, let's hit that hit that a different time. John, because that's a little bigger issue here. So, let me. Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's always been their stand that they that they don't differentiate. That's kind of a, a mixed bag. So yeah, yeah. I didn't know that myself. I just learned that two two years ago. Something about there. So yeah. Let me uh, let me pray. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for today. We thank you, Lord, for this gospel that we, we rejoice in, we declare. We've declared through baptism, and we, uh, and we also declare as we sing and listen to your word and, and, and receive it now. We just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.